got some work to do in the next several minutes together where um, we need to spend some time in Mark chapter 5 thinking about what Jesus did with the man there that he met after he crossed the Sea of Galilee and, uh, and took his disciples across the sea. Uh, so here's what I would like to do. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one in the chairs in front of you. Uh, what I would like to do this morning is I, I would like to read our text together, uh, to read the story, all 20 verses, uh, and then we'll, we'll pray. And uh, there's a few thoughts that we need to look at um, before we actually get in and start breaking down the text, um, because what, what we do as believers with some of the, uh, the things that come out of this text in regards to spiritual warfare and, and just uh, what we will see in Mark 5 is going to be really important. And so I want to spend the time this morning and I want to think about that with you uh, before we get to the text, but the text is going to take us there, so I'd like to read it together with you and think about what it is that Jesus has done. He just calmed the storm. We looked at that last week and he's still on the lake, still in the boat and his disciples now, Mark begins in verse 5, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of Gerasnes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw from, or when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened, the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And so one of the reasons why we, we teach through books of the Bible as we have been in the book of Mark is because, well, demonic possession probably is not something I'm just going to come up with on my own for us to look at. But God's Word has spoken to it, and so we will look at it because it is in the text, and I believe that that's the better posture for us 
to come before the Lord as we gather together in his house to hear from his word. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about these things this morning um, because God's word takes us there. And so would you pray with me as we begin and uh, we'll think about some of these things together. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. Lord, we thank you for <clears throat> the opportunity that we have to, to sing praises to your name, to, to be in your, your house with your people. And, and God, we, we pray for uh, our time now in your word. I pray that you would come and you would be our teacher, uh, that you would guard and guide my words so they are accurate to your perfect word. And Lord, we pray that you would come and you would, you would do work in our midst this morning, that you would encourage where we need encouraged, you would exhort where we need to be exhorted, you would comfort where we need comfort, God, that you would change us. God, I pray for, for patterns of thinking that we may have that don't line up with what your word says, and I, I pray that you'd do work in our minds this morning, that we would think differently, that we would think biblically, and in all of this, that we would that we would understand the, the great love with which you have loved us and the great Savior and worth of Jesus Christ who has died for us. And so it's in his good name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. So as we think about demonic possession, oppression, and, and what, what happened with the man, uh, there, there's going to be two errors that we have to guard ourselves against. And C.S. Lewis wrote about these errors in his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters. And, and he writes this, and then we'll talk about the two errors. There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other one is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail materialist or a magician with the same delight. And our first error that we could err in is, is blaming everything that is not good, however we define not good, as the result of demonic activity. And that's, that's the, the demons under every rock type of error where, you know, I, my car wouldn't start this morning and it, it, it's a demon. It's the demon of the interstate battery and, and, well, maybe not. It could just be a dead battery or the altar. You know, it, it, there's an error there where everything becomes the result of some type of demonic activity. But error number two is perhaps just as great in that we could ignore, diminish the spiritual realm completely and just say, well, we're, we're, we're materialists. And we, we go by what we can see and by what we can smell and what, what we can reason. We, we can't see demons and we can't necessarily touch them. And, and reason and logic seem to defy some of those things. And so, you know, it's just not true. And we're going to ignore and we're going to diminish the spiritual realm. And that's the other side that we can really just fall off the wagon. So, so obviously there's got to be a balance in the middle. And the scriptures give us this balance in Ephesians 6, 12. And the Apostle Paul writes to us and says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so let's notice a couple things in this text. One, there is a wrestling. For we do not wrestle. It implies that you're wrestling with somebody. He's just telling you who you're not wrestling with. You're not wrestling ultimately with other people. But you're wrestling with this unseen spiritual force of evil that is in existence. 
Now the Apostle Paul will go on, and we'll talk about this a little later this morning, about how we are to wrestle and how we are to stand and how we are to take the armor of God because those that we wrestle against are not armed foes. Colossians chapter 2 says that Jesus, when he was nailed to the cross, disarmed the rulers and the powers and the authorities. And he made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them by the blood of the cross. And so what this is, is that where Satan had a loaded weapon pointed at you because of the death of Jesus and your faith in him, all he has now is a water pistol. That's all he's got. Now, now if you met somebody in a dark alley who was taking their finger and putting it in the pocket of their jacket and pointing it in the small of your back and saying, I've got a gun, you give me all of whatever you have, uh, there, there's going to be perhaps uh, some easy, uneasiness. There perhaps is a little bit of, of fear because there's the unknown. Is it really a gun? Is it their finger? I can't tell. But if you know it's the finger, aren't you a little more emboldened to turn around and go, uh-uh, that's not happening. Now, perhaps if you're in a dark alley in the middle of the night, maybe you're just going to give them all your stuff anyways. But, but knowing is it loaded or is it a finger does make a difference. It makes a significant difference. And if we allow these scriptures to stand as they should, we do wrestle. But we wrestle against a disarmed enemy. Satan and his hosts have come to the front lines and they're doing battle there, but they've got no weapons. Instead, it's you and I as believers who actually have weapons, who have armor. So we're told to put on that armor. We're told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the only offensive weapon in the whole thing, and and go and, and fight victoriously against a disarmed enemy. And so we got to be careful that we don't err on either side of these, just dismissing them as not existing or thinking that they're everywhere uh, because both are going to just get us all sorts of screwy and we got to be real cautious. Uh, so let's define some terms now. The text is going to use the word demon possessed. It's a word that we'll uh, have heard often in our culture. We've got movies that depict it. So let's define it. And we'll put that on the screen for you here. I think the best way to define, uh, define demonic possession is to be indwelt by and or controlled by a demon. That's what we're going to see this man in our text this morning uh, being. And so demonic possession is to be indwelt by and or controlled by a demon. So uh, let's think about this real quickly. Um, believers can't be possessed or indwelt or controlled by a demon. Believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is God himself who has taken residence inside of our souls, who has made us new, and there's only occupancy there for one. And that's his place. And so demonic possession is not something that believers can fall prey to or can be controlled by. We can't be indwelt. We can't be controlled by demonic or unclean spirits, but we can be influenced. And that would be the second definition that we'll put there. To be enticed by sin or to sin by a demon. And this is where you and I have to be real careful because this this can be everywhere. 
And I want to give you some examples of what this may look like. And I want you to see that this is different than possession. This is, this is the enticement to sin. And so uh, the, the obvious ones are, are tarot cards, horoscopes, astrology. Uh, I, get, I get weirded out sometimes. I, feel, I just feel weird reading like the menu at certain Chinese restaurants because it's like it's there. And, and so I don't know. It's just a me thing. But I just want to be cautious of those. Uh, certain role-playing video games and card games can, can allow you to be influenced. Uh, and th- these are really gateways. They're, they're, they're doors you could open to be influenced. I think some of the supernatural TV shows and some of these shows that are ghost hunters and let's find the spirits. And but the thing is that there's no ghosts. If we're going to let God's word stand, those aren't ghosts. And now was it, were they pulling fishing string to make the door close by itself? We don't know. It's TV. They're trying to make money. They're really not that interested in you discovering the great secrets. They're interested in money. So that they're pr- producing a TV show that you're going to tune back into. But it can be, a, it can be a, a, a door where you can have some demonic influence in your life. Horror movies. Uh, those are certainly there. Certain music artists. And I'm not going to list them uh, because it, it would probably take too much time. There's artists there that can be influential in these ways. I think all pornography, regardless, is a gateway to demonic influence. And it's demonically inspired. Pornography is a special type of evil. Sexual immorality as well, though. Shows that depict magic or spells as a controlling power would be a, 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 a gateway or a door to open to be influenced. And I'm not going to give you the name of this show, uh, but there's a show, it's a cartoon, that we will not let our kids watch because the, the character in this show uses magic and spells to control things. And we're just not doing it. We're not even putting it in cute little Disney fashion before our children because it could be a pathway to demonic influence because it's not magic or spells that control things. It's the sovereign God of the universe. He's controlling things. You don't need incantations. He's given us the gift of prayer. But anything that celebrates evil, and, and this was this is just a funny example. So maybe some lightheartedness in the midst of this. Uh, this here's a funny example of the celebration of evil. There's a new movie coming out here in a little bit called Minions. And it was the uh, little yellow guys from Despicable Me and Despicable Me 2. They have spun them off. Universal has spun them off to be their own brand and their own uh, the empire. And so the, the next movie that's coming out has the plot line of this. The story of Universal Pictures, Minions, begins at the dawn of time. I guess as all good stories do. Uh, Starting as single-celled, yellow organisms, Minions evolve through the ages, perpetually serving the most despicable of masters, continuously unsuccessful at keeping these masters from the T-Rex to Napoleon, the Minions find themselves without somebody to serve and fall into a deep depression. We should feel sad for the minions. Maybe get them some Prozac or something. But one minion named Kevin, so Kevin's got a plan. Never mind. He, alongside with the rebel steward, which I don't think we have any stews in here, and the lovable Bob, because there's got to be a lovable guy in there, ventures out into the world to find a new evil boss for his brethren to follow. 
The trio embarks on a thrilling journey that ultimately leads them to the next potential master, Scarlet Overkill, the world's first female supervillain. So my wife probably gets a little frustrated with me, perhaps annoyed. Uh, we were in the Leiderberg Theater uh, watching, getting ready to watch uh, McFarland USA, and this, this promo comes on. And I lean over to her and I go, well, our kids aren't going to watch that. And like, that is celebrating evil. And, 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 and I don't want to make too much of it, but we have to think discerningly about it. it. It's in some ways teaching our kids that evil is good and to be celebrated, which by extension teach them, teaches them that good is, is, is evil. And, and anything that celebrates evil can be a place for demonic influence. It can be a door that you open to allow this influence and enticement of sin to be in your life. Well, the scripture is going to give us also some specific examples, and Mike's going to put those on the screen for us as well. And I'm not going to read these passages, but they are there for you to write them down. Listening and believing other, and I put voices in quotes because I know when we're talking about this, you, you might actually think, well, there's like voices. Well, that wasn't necessarily what Paul was saying. He was writing about other people, physical, flesh and blood people that came and, and were, were per, or preaching another gospel. And his concern was that these Thessalonian believers would listen to them in the false gospel and not the true gospel that he had come and preached. And so he said, I, I write to you because I couldn't bear it any longer because I thought for, that you might have listened to other people and been led astray. Secondly, withholding physical intimacy from your spouse, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, can be a place where some temptation is fueled. And again, if demonic influence is the enticement to sin, here's where we can be susceptible to temptation. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, James writes in chapter 2, and he names both of those as demonic. Unresolved anger and bitterness can be what are used in our lives to give the devil a foothold and not putting on the whole armor of God. And that's Ephesians 6, verse 13. I missed a character there. Paul tells us that we are to to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand in the day of evil. That was the verse right after he said, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you put on the whole armor of God. You daily put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand. Believers, if we're not putting on the armor of God, we are susceptible to demonic influence. But this is all contrasted against demonic possession which is where we see the man in Mark 5 being and living and having his life really summed up by. So as we go back to Mark, I, want us to, I, I wanted us to step back and just think about this because this man is an unbeliever, but this man is going to be gloriously saved by the grace and mercy of Christ, and he will be set free. But as we just look at this topic We needed to think along some of these things because these things matter a great deal. And so there's going to be four really themes that come out as we look at Mark 5 together. We're going to see that Jesus travels to an unclean country. He meets an unclean man. He casts out 
unclean spirits in the presence of unclean animals. And without taking an extensive time to build this out for you, the disciples had to have been going crazy. Because as good Jews, not all of them were good Jews, but as most of them who were good Jews, the the idea of cleanliness or ceremonial cleanliness was a prized idea. They could not allow themselves to step on Gentile soil and to be around a man who had an unclean spirit. And you certainly wouldn't go to a graveyard and, and pigs were an unclean animal. And so Jesus is destroying social barriers here. He is just breaking them all. He's breaking them all down. And so we, I got a picture of the Sea of Galilee for you just to get a picture of where Jesus is traveling. That circle at the top there is probably where Jesus was. That's the area of Capernaum. Uh, and, and then he left there, and they had the storm on the sea last week. And might go to the next one. Here's probably where they landed, that next circle, which was this area of, of Kersey, it's known as, or, or Gerasna, or, or Gersa would be the other way to, uh, to call it. And so it wasn't a trip all the way across the widest part of the sea, but here's kind of where they went, and somewhere in the middle there, the storm came down, and, and things got crazy, and Jesus spoke to the storm and stilled it. And then they landed at that circle there on the eastern shore, which was a Gentile-occupied country. So here's where the unclean country is. And the Jews stayed so far away from unclean countries or Gentile territories, they, they actually believed that if you brought dirt back from a Gentile country or territory and it, it touched the soil or dirt of Jerusalem or Israel, I should say, that that dirt became unclean itself. And so the, the phrase, shake the dust off of your feet, was, was bound up in that where they would, before they got back into their homeland, shake the dust off their feet so they wouldn't bring unclean dirt back into where they believed there was ceremonial cleanliness. And here Jesus just sails his disciples right in there and they get off the boat and they're going to meet a man whose life is pretty, pretty devastating. In verse 2, look at chapter 5 with me. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him a man out of the tombs, a man living with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. This man lived in the cemetery. This was where this man's home was. And cemeteries there, it wouldn't have looked like our cemetery on the hill where you have lots of capstones and, and monuments. It was, it was rock that was hollowed out, whether it was natural rock formations or whether somebody went in there and they carved out of the mountainside uh, holes for, for the dead to be taken. But these were the tombs that this man was living in. And he was, he was sleeping and he was residing in the presence of, 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 the, of the tombs. No one can bind him any more with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. And Mark begins to describe this unclean man. This man was unclean because he was a Gentile. This man was unclean because he lived among the dead. This man was a powerful man. It says that no one could any more bind him. I think the implication in the text there is that people had been binding him. There was a point in time where the man could be bound and the man could have chains wrapped around him and his, his activity would be subdued to a certain extent, but not any longer. 
The man was so strong that he would break the chains, he would shatter the shackles, and Mark says no one had the strength to subdue him. Now, think back with me four weeks ago, and if you want to just turn there briefly, go to Mark 3, verse 27. Jesus, when, when confronting the religious rulers that come down and say, it's by the power of Satan that he's casting out all these demons, Jesus gives this example in 27 and says this, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And we talked that Sunday about how Jesus is the stronger man that can bind a strong man and go plunder his goods. The strong man being Satan. And so here you have a man who's indwelt and possessed by demonic spirits who is unboundable by anyone else. Chains and shackles aren't getting the job done anymore. And I think Mark's giving us these details to highlight the majesty and strength and authority and power of Christ because he is the stronger man. And he hasn't just bound the strong man to go plunder his house. He has the authority to set free those that Satan has taken captive. And Mark continues in verse 5 with his description, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I think this man was well known. Just think about it. If there was somebody living up in the Blue Ridge Summit, running around without clothes, Luke tells us the guy was naked, um, screaming, cutting himself, Cutting himself and crying out, those words are written in such a way that, that it's not just a, he's not just calling to people, he's, he's screaming. And he's taking stones and sharp rocks and, and digging them in, and we're not told the purpose for why he's doing that. Do you think this guy is, is, is well known? I do. Because we wouldn't have a guy living a few miles away from us who had that story and it not get around town. But this is, this is the quality, if you even want to call it that, of this man's life. This is how wretched this, this man's existence is, that he lives in a graveyard and, and is without clothing and is, is unkept and who knows what he's had to eat recently. And, and he's, he's crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when this man saw Jesus from afar, verse 6, he ran and fell before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And Jesus now is going to be interacting with the unclean spirits. Mark records for us in verse 8 that Jesus had been saying, or for he was saying, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Now that word, for he was saying, Mark writes in such a way that the implication there is that Jesus had been continually saying it. And so there's a difference here in this, in this scene with this man uh, as opposed to the other scenes when Jesus had confronted people in, in, in chapter 1 of Mark with unclean spirits where at one word Jesus spoke and, and the demons fled. And they, they asked him, you know, don't, don't, are you here to torment us? And he said, be gone. And they were, they were gone. And with one word, the immediacy of the response is seen. But here Jesus is continually saying, come out. And they're not leaving. And it begs the question, why? 
And I don't believe it's because Jesus' power has somehow been diminished from the calming of the storm. I believe it was for the very purposeful reason of both his disciples and the man to understand the depth of this man's despair. And so simultaneously, you have Jesus commanding the demons to get out and then not allowing them to leave. He's simultaneously commanding them to leave and not allowing them to leave because he wants to highlight the depth of this man's despair. And so the demons and the unclean spirits have this exchange with Jesus. And Jesus asked him, verse 9, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. That word legion is going to be a Roman word. It's a Greek word that gets used. And it's used to describe uh, a company of soldiers or a legion of soldiers. And and legions were upwards of 6,000 soldiers. Now I don't believe the man had 6,000 demons. But but most people would agree that he probably at least had 2,000. Because that's the number of pigs that were cast down into the sea after the demons fled the man. Regardless of the number, it is many. And this man's despair is great. And they begged him in verse 12, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And look at their, their verse 13, this is so important. He gave them permission. There is no dualism in the universe. There is no equal and opposite opposing forces that are at war against each other. There is God, and then there is everything else. And the demons need permission to do anything, and we're given another glimpse into that in the book of Job, in the opening pages, where Job has to be given permission, or Satan has to be given permission to go and afflict Job. He's not allowed to just do anything. So there is God and then there is everything else. And you see that expressed in verse 13 where where really the, the sovereignty of Christ here and the authority of Christ is magnified by the demons who fully recognize who he is. I mean, in, in the, the day, and it would be a, a full 24-hour day when the disciples had been in the boat where the storm was calmed and they were left going, who is this man? They show up on the side of the sea and this demon-possessed guy runs up to Jesus and goes, you are son of the most high God. So when the disciples are wondering who is he, the demons fully know. And they're begging Jesus because Jesus has authority. Well, he grants them permission and the unclean spirits come out and enter the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And Mark gives no reason why Jesus let him do it. He gives no reason to what happened to the demons afterwards. Mark just doesn't provide us any of those details other than these demons begged Jesus to not cast them out of the country and Jesus gave them permission to go into these pigs and they did what it is the demonic and satanic realm desires to do and that is destroy. And you see the, the, the pursuit of destruction in, in the life of this man. 
who had been estranged from his people, perhaps estranged from his family. He he was estranged from his neighbors. He was living in the tombs. He was just spending his days screaming on the top of mountains and in graveyards, cutting himself with stones. And the, the despair of this man is vast. And you see the grace and mercy and authority of Jesus come into play. Mark continues, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had just happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there. Now notice his description now. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. And they were afraid. I think it's fascinating that the response of the people was not being afraid, or better translated, terrified at the fact that 2,000 pigs just stormed off a hillside and drowned themselves. They were terrified because they saw the man who had spent his days being unbound, cutting himself with stones, screaming at the top of his lungs, singing his right mind, clothed. They were terrified because they saw the power of Jesus Christ Now notice their response. Those who had been there described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. This could have been the disciples. It perhaps was the herdsmen. could have even been the man himself. And here's the response of the townspeople. And they begged Jesus to depart from their region. And the immensity of this display of power and the immensity of this man being healed and the immensity of this moment, their terror led them to drive out Christ from their country. And I think Jesus, as the gentleman he is, went and got in the boat. In verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who, has been, who was possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Notice here in the text with me, who's begging Jesus for things? Mark uses that word four times. Have you caught it? Verse 10. And they begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Those begging at this moment would have been the unclean spirits. And a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Verse 12, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So you have the demons begging Jesus. It's one of the people begging Jesus in this account. And so Jesus gives them permission. But then, but then go down to verse 17. And what do the townspeople do? And they begin to beg Jesus. Depart from our region. (laughs) We're terrified. But look at verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But who's the only one Jesus said no to? It's the man possessed with demons. The demons are begging Jesus. The townspeople are begging Jesus. The man who has been set free is begging Jesus, and the only one Jesus says no to is the man he had just healed. And I think that's important for us to notice because I think at times we can be prone to to take a no 
to an answer of prayer that we've been praying for and, and think it's because God doesn't love us or he's not happy with us or whatever that reason may be. But, but here's a man who was told no and Christ had just set him free in a tremendously triumphant way. The demons were told yes. The townspeople acting in unbelief, being terrified, were told yes. And the man who had just been healed and saved was told no. Sometimes God's yes isn't always the product of his grace. Sometimes it's the product of also his judgment. And you see Jesus judging the demons. You see him, I believe, by him leaving the country judging the town people who begged him to depart and saying yes to both of them. And here you have, though, this man begging Jesus to go with him. But Jesus had a different plan for this man. He had a different plan for this man and his plan for this man. And here's what the no led to. This man became the first Gentile Christian missionary in a Gentile country. I mean, you think about that, and Jesus is going to come back, and I believe it's Mark 7, so we'll get there, I guess, eventually. He's going to come back, and he's going to be back in the Decapolis. And we're told that as he landed, they brought him all their sick. How did they know to do that? Beginning of verse 5, chapter 5, he lands in the Decapolis, The only one who is there to recognize him for who he is is a man possessed by demons and it is only because his demonic possession allowed them to lead his physical body down to the feet of Jesus because they knew who he really was. But you give it two more chapters, everybody knows. And they come. Jesus' no to this man led him to be the first Gentile missionary to a Gentile country. And Jesus is going to come back and he's going to have an opportunity to minister and preach to these people. And this man did what Jesus said. In verse 20, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's the, the, the region of ten cities. Deca means ten, polis, it's a city how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And the response of this man's obedience, taking what Christ had done in his life, was that everyone marveled. And so here's how I think we need to just kind of wrap up and think about this this text this morning. And, And the first one's really not from the text, but it's from our time that we spent thinking about demonic possession and demonic influence, we have to be careful to guard ourselves against demonic influences and those those gateways, those places where we can open the door to those influences. You have to be careful to guard ourselves. Parents, we have to be careful to guard our children. We have to, we have to be out in front of them and we have to be researching what it is they want to spend their time and attention uh, with and on and what shows they want to watch and what play, music they want to listen to. We've got to be out in front. We've got to be researching those things. We've got to be digging into them to figure, is this the celebration of evil? Is this, is this perhaps a doorway and a gateway uh, for demonic influence in, in my child's life? That's part of our responsibility 
We also see in the text that Jesus shows grace and love and compassion to the worst of the worst. This man had nobody. Matthew tells us that he had one other guy, that there was actually two. Mark only records about the one. But this man was an outcast, living in a graveyard, unclothed, bloody, scars everywhere. This man was the worst of the worst. And here you see Jesus going across the lake to heal this one dude and then actually going right back across the lake later. Verse 21 of chapter 5, Jesus gets in the boat, he goes back to the other side. The only reason that Mark gives us for why Jesus crossed this lake to begin with was to show his disciples his power and authority over the created world and to heal this man. So I think it begs the question, are we willing to show love and grace and compassion to perhaps not the worst of the worst, the, those, they're there, but how about those who may just be unlovable? And they're there as well. How about that, that guy or that gal at work who, who perhaps just rubs you the wrong way? Here you have Jesus breaking all sorts of social norms to go and, and, and heal this guy who was the worst of the worst. Are we willing to, to go and love those who were just hard to love? But then lastly, there is no reason for us to fear the unseen spiritual realm. Jesus is greater and more powerful. There is no reason for us to fear the unseen spiritual realm. And you see Jesus' power and authority being demonstrated in what he did in liberating this man and this dramatic display of power and authority. Paul tells us in 6.12 of Ephesians that we will wrestle We wrestle an enemy who has been defeated. We wrestle an enemy who's got a water gun pretending to be a pistol. We got somebody who doesn't have any weapons any longer. And there's no reason to fear. There's reason to be wise. There's reason to be discerning. There's reasons to to guard. There's reasons to, to pray and to put on the armor of God. But there is not reasons to fear. And parents, I think we also have to teach our children this. And, and I don't know if it was because of the sermon or what, uh, but we've had these nights before in our house where we've, you know, bad dreams and I saw something with the kids. And, uh, and, and so last night was, 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 again, it was like that night. And, and Allegra comes in, she goes, well, I had a bad dream. And the first thing that I thought of, you haven't even been in there long enough to sleep yet. Uh, but, but regardless of that, she, she needed dad. She needed me to come in. And, and I don't know if it's because I was preaching on this this morning or not, but I said, all right, sweetie, I'm going to pray with you. And I prayed, I prayed with her that, that the Lord would take away all, all of what might have been disturbing her in her thoughts, and he would replace in her mind thoughts of himself, and that he would bring to mind songs of her, or songs about him that are her favorites, that she just might go to sleep singing about Jesus and not thinking about whatever it might have been that had disturbed her. I mean, this is my prayer for my child as I'm, as I'm holding her, as she's kind of a little distraught, trying to perhaps extend bedtime out a little bit, but perhaps really afraid. I, I don't know. 
but these are my prayers for her. And, 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 and as we've taught her all along, sweetie, you don't need to be afraid. And if there's something that scares you, you have the authority as a, as a child of God to say, in Jesus' name, get out of here. And they have to flee. And for believers, there's no reason for us to be afraid. And it's because our God is greater. And our God is stronger. And our God is higher than any other. And if he's for us, there is no one who can be against us. And you see that play out in Mark 5. You see this man being set free because of the power and majesty and authority of Jesus Christ on display. Because he is greater, he is stronger, he is higher than any other. And if he is for us, believer, there is no reason to fear because there is none that can be against us. And so as we close this morning, would you stand and I want us to sing these words. And before we sing, if you would like to come and pray, perhaps there's some strongholds in your life, perhaps there are places you've opened doors to demonic influence that you'd like to talk about, you'd like to be prayed for about, I'll be up front and would be glad to take that opportunity and pray for you.